This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Man, if I only had more money, or gosh, I just wish I had more money. I really could use this money right now. You know, why isn't there more money? Why can't I make more money? Personal finance is a pretty boring topic for most people. You know, I'm a super dork nerd, so like I love learning about it. But for for a lot of people, it's really boring or it's complex or it's intimidating. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Passion People podcast. And I'm your host, Naga. The Passion People podcast chronicles stories of people who follow their passion and make it manifest in tangible ways. So you can get inspired and get one step closer to what it is that you're passionate about. Since a lot of people are thinking about their finances due to the ongoing COVID-19 epidemic, our episode today is on passive income and personal finance. You might be wondering why we're talking about money on a podcast that's dedicated to passion. Let me answer that by quoting our guest today, who said, For you to live a passionate and independent life, a key ingredient is money. So for this episode, we're in conversation with Rachel, who is a best-selling author of two books, a finance whiz and a real estate investor who's been passionate about finance from sixth grade. At the age of 27, she has retired with over $10,000 in passive income. If you're doing the math, that translates to around 7 lakh rupees per month. Interested? Tune in to find out more. Rachel, thank you so much for taking time. I am so excited to be talking to you. Yes, thanks, Naga, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Rachel, I guess a good good place to start would be to introduce to our listeners uh, what you do. Yeah, for sure. So I am a lot of things. Um, I'm a best-selling author of two books on financial literacy. I'm a real estate investor, so my husband and I own over 35 rental units Um, I'm an entrepreneur, professional speaker, Um, but what people find most interesting about me is that last year at age 27, I was able to quit my job and retire, and I'm now living off over $10,000 per month in passive income. That sounds like an absolute dream, and given the context of this podcast, everyone who is tuning in would be really excited to know, A, how to get their financial shit together, which is the title of your first book, <laughs> and and be what different passive income streams are and what people can do to kind of get their hands on them. Yeah, for sure. My journey with money management and passive income definitely started at a young age. You know, I I think I read my first book about finance in sixth grade. And I remember it because I was in summer camp with my friends. And instead of playing on the water slides with them, I was reading this book by the pool and learning about compound interest and getting really excited. So it's always been something I've been interested in because I want to become financially independent and wealthy. And I want to have enough money that I can always take care of myself 
and the people that I love. So that's why I've always been such an avid learner. The best way that I love to learn about finance is by reading. But what's so cool about this day and age is that there are so many resources out there. There's websites, there's blogs, there's podcasts, and there's so much free information. So there's nothing stopping someone from going out there and learning. I published my first book, which is Money Honey, a simple seven-step guide for getting your financial shit together. Um, So that's a fun title. (laughs) I published that in September of 2017. And I published it because all throughout high school and college, people, my friends and family would come to me if they had any questions about finance because they knew that I knew my stuff. And I began to wonder why they weren't, you know, learning with all these free resources out there. And then I realized that personal finance is a pretty boring topic for most people. You know, I'm a super dork nerd, so like I love learning about it. But for, for a lot of people, it's really boring or it's complex or it's intimidating. You know, there's a lot of negative emotion around it. So it can be hard to sit down and read through a dry technical finance book. So that's where the idea of Money Honey came into being. I thought, how can I make this subject sassy and fun and simple? And that's where I I wrote Money Honey. It really talks about the basics of money management in terms of budgeting, saving, debt payoff, investing, taxes, and insurance. And it has really resonated with young people, with millennials, with college students, with recent grads. Uh, because we're not taught these things in school. So we're left to figure out how to do it all for ourselves. So that's why I think it's really struck a chord and been very helpful to a lot of people. Absolutely. And that's the that is the thing that we're trying to figure out with this podcast as well, because I'm sure that my listeners would be keen to understand a what what are the basic financial missteps that people in their 20s typically take and how to avoid them mm. and b how do they start changing their perspective and their narrative towards their finances because the way i look at it is that the, i look at my finances the way i look at my medical reports right it's never it's never fun to watch it or it's never fun to go visit the doctor because you know that he's not going to tell you anything that you're going to like yeah that's so so true. How, how do you change the narrative <laughs> yeah so how to change the narrative is you know, there really needs to be a mindset shift around your money because a lot of people's relationship with money is is one of struggle and of negativity. And I can totally relate to that because I've been there before. I not, I used to not know what the heck I was doing with my money either. And, you know, I think most people, when they think of money, they think things like, man, if I only had more money or gosh, I just wish I had more money. I really could use this money right now. You know, why isn't there more money? Why can't I make more money? And so those thoughts are really, um, they're kind of panicked thoughts. They're thoughts of desperation. And that's not going to foster the correct mindset towards money. So, you know, imagine the difference between thinking those thoughts versus thinking the thoughts of money is abundant and money comes effortlessly and easily to me. And I have so much money. Look at all the things my money has paid for, my shelter, my food, the clothes on my back. I'm so grateful for the money that I have and everything that it's provided. 
So, you know, that's a really big difference in the way that we're talking to ourselves about our money. And I am of the firm belief that what we think, our mental thoughts, can really manifest themselves physically. So I think the first step to strengthening and improving our relationship with money is changing the way we think about it. And a a great way to do that, because that's, you know, that's easier said than done. But a great way to do that is doing affirmations. So, you know, all of the things that I just said, money is abundant, money comes effortlessly to me. Those are things you can say to yourself out loud two or three times a day. And once you say those to yourself enough, you will automatically think those thoughts and you'll kind of reprogram those thoughts in your brain. And it'll eventually be something that you believe instead of something that you're just saying to yourself. So I think that's important in terms of changing the way we think about money is really looking at how we're thinking about money now, how we could be thinking about money in a more healthy manner, and then using some affirmations on a daily basis so we can really change our mindset. The affirmations are one part, right? The affirmations start changing the way we think about it. How, how does one take these affirmations and translate them into tangible actions? What are typically the biggest financial missteps that people take during their 20s and how can they avoid it? Yes. So I love that question. And there are two parts of it. You're absolutely right. I agree with everything you're saying. You know, you can't just change your mindset and then expect that things are going to happen. I mean, you have to go out and execute as well. So your mindset is an important piece of it, but it's not going to get you all the way there. You have to actually go take action. So there's a few things I recommend everyone do starting out that will help them get their financial shit together. So I'll talk about that um, and I'll, I'll kind of hit on some of the mistakes that I see young people making as well. But in terms of just starting out, kind of looking at the things that you can do, the first thing you can do is simply start a budget. And because I say that, it sounds simple. And I know sometimes budgeting it sounds like this dreadful, boring activity. But actually, budgeting is a very empowering tool because we might have a goal. We might see where we want to get to eventually with our money. But if we don't know where we are today, we're not going to be able to chart that path to get to where we want to go. So we really have to understand our baseline in order to be able to make improvements. So that's why having a budget is so important. Starting a budget simply starts with tracking your expenses. So once you see where your money is going, you know, maybe you do this for a month. Once you see where your money is going, it will be very obvious where to cut back. So for example, um, I feel like I shouldn't admit this because I'm supposed to be a financial whiz, but the first month my husband and I did this, we realized we spent over $900 that month here in the U.S. just on food. $900. That is more than some people's mortgage payment for their house. So that was really embarrassing for me to see. And that was, once we saw that, we were like, man, we really got to cut that back. And that made us naturally want to cut back from there. So once you see where your money's going, you will naturally want to cut back. It'll be easy to decrease your expenses in areas, and then you can start putting a budget into place from there. The number one mistake that I see millennials make when it comes to managing their finances, there's a couple things, but one of them is that when they're trying to save more money, they're kind of only looking at one piece of the puzzle. So I do this little uh, segment in workshops when I'm running workshops and I'll ask people, Hey, if you're trying to save up money quickly, you know, for concert tickets or for a car repair, if you're trying to save up money quickly, what do you do? And they'll say things like, you know, I'm going to cook at home more. 
I'm going to give up my Starbucks coffee. I'm going to shop less. You know, I'm going to eat out less, all those things. And those things are all great responses. However, I began to notice that those re- there's a common theme around those responses, and they're all focused on decreasing your expenses. Now, decreasing your expenses is very important. We should definitely be focusing on getting our spending in line. But there's only so much you can decrease your expenses, right? You can't negotiate your mortgage. You can't lower your car payment. So there's only so much you can do. There's actually a whole other side of the equation that a lot of people are forgetting about. So there's there's two ways to increase your savings. Number one is to decrease your expenses. And number two is to increase your income. And for some reason, we always forget, forget about this second option. But the great thing about increasing your income is that there is no cap on how much money you can make in a year. There's nothing stopping you from going out to make more money. So if millennials really want to make an impact with their budget, they should focus on doing both, decreasing their expenses and increasing their income. That's fantastic. I love the analogy that you mentioned that, you know, there's there's all of these expenses that people want to reduce, but nobody ever thinks about, you know, increasing their income. Getting the expenses down could be relatively simpler. It's not easy by any stretch of imagination because that is something that could entail a lifestyle change. It could mean a lot of things, but at least you have like a definite path that is ahead of you where you can chart and say, no more Netflix subscription no more eating out. I'm going to cook at home. I'm just going to, you know, listen to podcasts which are free or whatever it is, right? But in terms of increasing your income, how how does one go about doing that? Because most most people are already in full-time jobs. They're already working. And they know that the only increase that they will get is in case they get promoted in their jobs or in case they, you know, move to another job or whatever it is, or their annual increment, if that is even a thing in some countries, right? So how does one figure out how to improve the top line or the income that you're talking about? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. I have so many ideas on this. And and first, before I kind of get into specific ideas, I want to talk about the difference between active and passive income, because you did talk about the time constraint that we have. And there are two ways to increase your income. One, you can you can continue to increase your income by putting in more time, you know, investing your time to continue to make more money. Another, and that's active income. Another way to increase your income is by creating something called passive income. And these are income streams that don't require as much hands-on work. So they often require just little to no work to maintain, which means you're not trading your time for your money. And there's no right or wrong answer on how to increase your income. Maybe you're willing to invest more hours to increase your income and have more active income. That's fine. There's a lot of ideas for that. Easy ideas for that would be, you know, is there a promotion you can go for at your job? Is there a raise that you can ask for if you haven't had a raise in three years and you feel that you've earned a raise? Can you find a higher paying job? Can you get a part-time job? Can you mow lawns or watch people's dogs or house sit or babysit or sell all your old things online that you don't need anymore. Um, So there's tons of ideas there and ways to do that where you're sort of actively trading your time for money. I think all those ideas are great and that's a great place to start. 
Now, if you're the type of person where you don't want to keep trading your time for money, then maybe you're more interested in passive income. Now, don't get me wrong, because passive income is no get-rich-quick scheme. It does take time or money to create. So you're still going to have to invest some time to build the passive income stream. But once you have it going, it's a lot more hands-off. You know, with an active job, maybe you're working 40 hours a week to earn your paycheck. But with a passive income stream, maybe you're just working a few hours a week or a few hours a month to maintain it. So I have always really been drawn to the idea of passive income because if I truly want to be free and have freedom of time and freedom of location and have financial freedom, then to me, that's passive income. And that's and I became very obsessed with passive income a few years ago. And that's what my husband and I started working towards. And I write about this topic in my new book, which is Passive Income Aggressive Retirement and all the different types of passive income streams out there. So I outline 28 of them in my book. But I'm going to tell you guys about a lot of them today. So, um, you know, there's a couple big categories that we think of when it comes to passive income. Rental income is a popular one. I'm a real estate investor. I own over 35 rental units. It's a big source of passive income, and it's a great tool for long-term wealth building. So I love rental income. The other common one that I feel like we all hear about is portfolio income. So, you know, can you invest your stocks and be making dividends or be making income off your portfolio? That's another popular one. The only thing with that is that you generally need to have a large amount of money if you're going to create any meaningful income from your stock portfolio. Um, So in my book, I talk about a few other categories that are not as well known. One of the other categories is royalty income. So this is what I do with my books. I have two best-selling books. They generate royalty royalty income each month. So just the other month, I had my first $5,000 month. And this is income that I am earning with, with doing little to no work. So a great example of this is um, a few weeks ago, I was in Barcelona, Spain with my husband and my two sisters on vacation. And I took the entire week off. I didn't do a single ounce of work. And I remember one night I was looking at my book sales overnight and I woke up the next morning and I saw that I had sold 120 books overnight. And that translates into over $500 in income. And it's really cool because I was literally making money while I slept and I didn't even have to trade my time for that. I was making money on vacation without even working. So that's exactly what royalty income is. Anyone, in my opinion, can write a book. I firmly believe that everyone has a book inside of them. And I believe it's been reported, I think it's 80 or 82% of people want to publish a book. So that's always a popular one. Um, Someone could, could launch online courses to generate royalty income. Musicians generate royalty income with their songs. So there's lots of ways to generate royalty income. The next um, big category of passive income is coin-operated machines. Now, this is a really interesting one. I haven't personally done this one myself, but I was really close to doing this because I think it's so brilliant. But when I um, say coin-operated machines, I mean any automatic machine that you operate and that will service you by you know, putting in a credit card or putting in coins. So that could be vending machines, ATMs laundromats, that could be an arcade game. Those are all possible ways of generating passive income through coin-operated machines. 
So those are really cool. And then the last big category is something that I, I just call e-commerce. So this could be if you start a blog. Um, now, I know there's going to be bloggers out there that say, hey, this isn't passive at all. You know, this takes a lot of time. And that's totally fair. When you start a blog, you really have to think, how can I make this passive? How can I outsource this so that I'm not spending hours and hours each day creating content? So if you can outsource it, then you can, you can find a way to make that passive. Another one would be, you know, affiliate marketing. How can you put ads up and, and draw people to view your pages or your website and generate ad money? Um, and then another big one that falls into this category is drop shipping. So those are the five big categories. I know I just gave you a lot of information, but just to recap, there's rental income, portfolio income, royalty income, coin operated machines, and then ads and e-commerce. Right. The You mentioned that you need a large sum of money to make something meaningful out of portfolio income, right? Don't you think it's the same with real estate as well? It can be. That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. I think that a lot of people tend to think that they can't invest in real estate because they don't have enough money. And if you go about real estate the traditional way, then then you would be right. You would have to have a large down payment. So, you know, if someone um, in California is looking at buying a $500,000 little house, then they would generally have to have 20 to 25% available as a down payment. So that would be $100,000 at least. And not all of us have that sitting, you know, in our back pocket. I mean, when I started investing in real estate, I didn't have nearly that much money. We live in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a much more reasonable housing market and the cost of living is very low. So the first duplex we bought cost $100,000 and to have the 20% down, we just needed to have $20,000. So that's a lot less. However, that's still a lot of money. But the cool thing is, is the more that I've researched real estate and I've talked to experts, the more I've realized that there are ways to get started in real estate investing without having a ton of money. In my book, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, I interviewed a couple different people that are real estate moguls. I mean, multimillionaires. They own hundreds of rental properties. And I got to interview Doug Skipworth, and he owns a firm in Memphis, Tennessee. He's amazing. Um, Such a great guy and so, so impressive. And he just listed out all these different ways that people can start investing in real estate without having a lot of money. So one thing he pointed out is to invest in a REIT, which is a real estate investment trust. Now that's really more of um, a stock investment, but you can enjoy the returns on real estate without directly owning a rental property by investing in a REIT. So that's an option. He also talked about owner financing. So if you can find a property that somebody is selling, and they are willing to carry the mortgage and do owner financing, then they might not require you to put down as much money. They, they would be able to do more flexible terms. He said he's found so many great deals that way because owner financing is a lot more flexible. You can get a lower interest rate, lower down payment. So he really loves that one specifically. Um, another thing he recommends is finding a partner. So maybe you're someone, you have a little more time, maybe you know, you know a little bit about home maintenance, or maybe you just have the time where you can go out and find the deal. And the point that he made was, if you can find the deal, the money will come. So the way that you would partner with somebody is you find a deal, you pitch it out to investors in your area. You say, Hey, I found this deal. If you confront the money, 
you know, I'll split the profits with you, or maybe they're just going to give you a short term loan, something like that. But you can find somebody else to front the money and split the profits with you, and you can do all the other work. So there's a way where you can really um, find somebody else, you know, that has strengths that complement your strengths and work together and do a really successful real estate deal. The last way that I'll mention to get into real estate investing is something called wholesaling. And this is what a lot of people do to get started when they don't have any money. So what a wholesaler will, will do is they will go out and they'll find real estate deals. And they'll spend time really going around neighborhoods, may, maybe doing mailers, knocking on people's doors. But you know they do the hard work of finding the really good deal. They will put a contract on the house. And then they'll go back to the investors in the areas, the ones that you know have the money to buy the house. And they'll say, hey, for $5,000, you know, I'll assign this contract to you. Basically, I'm the middleman. I'm finding you the deal. You pay me $5,000 and you get to have this deal. So that's how wholesaling works. And that's really cool because not only do you get the experience of going out and looking for real estate deals, but you're getting paid a few thousand dollars for each one you find somebody else. And then after doing, you know, three or four or five of those, suddenly you have enough money that you can. Um, put a down payment on your own deal that you find yourself. So I think that's a really great way to get your foot in the door as well. I hear you. That's the down payment bit. We also need to make sure that the returns that we get in terms of rental income should be more than what we pay out as installments for our loans as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have this whole cash flow spreadsheet. Um, I love my spreadsheets, as you can tell. I'm like an Excel freak. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, there's a common misconception with real estate investing. And a lot of people think, okay, as long as the rental income is more than the mortgage payment, then I'm good. And that's not always true. You know, so some people will look at a house and they'll say, okay, I'm going to rent it for $1,000 a month. My mor- mortgage payment is $900 a month. So I'll make $100 per month. Um, No, that's not the case Uh, because there are so many other expenses that people forget about. So when you're kind of doing the math and breaking it down, you know, you really want to start with your rental income, what you know you can rent it out for, and you want to factor in your mortgage payment. But then there's things like, you know, is there a homeowner's association fee? Are you going to be paying for pest control, for landscaping, for any cleaning? And then you you definitely have to make sure you make room, you leave room for maintenance and repair because there will be things that go wrong with your property and you will have to get them fixed. Also, if you're holding onto the property long term, you're going to have to eventually replace the HVAC, the um, the roof. You know, there's going to be some bigger investments you'll need to make, so you need to be putting money aside for those as well. And if the property is not rented all year, maybe there's a week, you know, between tenants where it's vacant or two weeks between tenants, you need to account for that vacancy rate as well. So, you know, when you're doing the math, you really have to make sure you're accounting for all of those different expenses. You know, is the tenant going to pay utilities or are you going to pay utilities? You have to factor in all of this. And then to really, for rental income to really be passive, you really want to have a property manager. You know, it's it's pretty easy to manage three or five doors on your own. It really doesn't take a lot of work. But once you get into having 35 rental units like we do, that's a lot of work. And no one wants to quit their job to become a full-time landlord, right? So when you're when you're planning this from the get-go, you really want to factor in the cost of hiring a property manager. 
and making sure that you can do that as well. But I always try to aim, you know, for at least a hundred to two hundred dollars in profit per month after all of those expenses. So you know, you're probably hearing this and thinking, man, this sounds hard to find a deal. It is. It is hard to find a deal. That's why if you're somebody that can find those deals for other people, they will pay you for them. And if if you're looking for deals for yourself, you just have to have patience. You have to wait for the right thing to come up. You know, my husband and I, we looked for nine months before we bought our first duplex. We made offers on houses. We went into tens, I mean, maybe hundreds of houses to look. We did math on so many different houses, but we were patient and we waited for the right house to come up. And it's so good that we did because it is the, that first duplex we bought is probably the best investment we've ever made. We also need to account for the taxes on the rental income. That's right. You got to account for the taxes as well. See, there's all these hidden expenses that you have to make sure you're accounting for. So it's, it's not as simple as rental income minus mortgage. You know, there's a lot more than that. Absolutely. The, the level of sophistication and the amount of planning that goes into doing something like this, right? I think it's at, at some level, it puts off certain individuals or certain people and or they feel like, oh man, this is so much effort for, you know, maybe a hundred or two hundred dollars or every month. What they don't realize is that eventually the profit is going to be fully theirs once a once the loan has been fully paid. And the second thing is that Having that long-term perspective, like you mentioned that you looked for a property for nine months. Mm-hmm. I do not see a lot of people having the kind of conviction or the wherewithal to do that kind of search or spend that kind of effort, right? Because we're living in this world of instant gratification. So as we conclude our episode, Rachel, what, what would you suggest for people to change that shift in the mindset again in terms of putting that effort and moving away from instant gratification to long-term gratification, which is what personal finance is all about. It's about struggling today, writing that book, publishing that podcast, identifying and slogging to make sure that you're getting that killer real estate deal and also then figuring out how to finance it. Because A, you will be better off in the long term, but you have to be willing to put the work today. So what what would your suggestions or inputs or you know, what would your thoughts be for them? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because you're totally right. It's all about instant versus delayed gratification. And that's the same reason that dieting is so hard. You know, dieting is so similar to finance because if you want to be healthy and have a healthy body that can do, you know, physical challenges in the future, you have to be making the the right healthy decisions today. And that's so hard to do because we're in the present moment. We give priority to the present moment over the future moment. And it's hard to really take care of our future self. Um, So finance is exactly the same way. Building passive income is exactly the same way. And that's why I say, you know, passive income isn't some easy thing. It's not some money tree that anybody can go out and do quickly or easily. It does take time, effort, sometimes money to get that passive income stream into place. But once you do, and it's truly passive, then you really get to reap the rewards of your effort. And it's so magical. So I would say for you know, it does sound like a lot of work. It does. I'm not arguing with that at all. But if you are truly somebody that is excited at the prospect of financial independence and what that will mean for your life, then I think you can get excited enough to make 
to do the hard things today, to sacrifice today so that you can enjoy an even greater future. You know, one activity I recommend people do is writing down your why. So this is something my husband and I talked about so many different times. We really value our freedom. We wanted to be able to go travel wherever we want to go. We love traveling. We didn't want to have to go into a cubicle every day and work every day. We wanted to have freedom and complete control of our time and of our location. And that why was so meaningful and motivating to us that that kept us motivated and disciplined to to sticking to what we wanted to do and putting the hard work in. At any time, you know, we were like, "Oh man, this is hard. I don't know if we're ever going to find the real estate deal." You know, I'm I'm worried about this. This is over here and you know, it's very chaotic. It's hard to do. But anytime we were feeling that way, we would remind ourselves because this is a, this is an option. You know, you don't have to put yourself through this. You don't have to sacrifice this to build passive income. So this is something we were imposing on ourselves, but anytime we would think that way, we would say, okay, well, these are our goals. These are our values, freedom, flexibility, financial independence. Are we still willing to discipline and sacrifice right now so that we can enjoy all of those values in the future? And every time the answer for us was yes. And that, that really helped us stay motivated and disciplined. So I'd recommend, you know, anyone listening that is feeling overwhelmed or like they can't do it. Just write down your values, write down your why, envision your dream life and what that would look like and what that would mean for you and your family if you were independently wealthy. How would that change your life? And are you willing to make the sacrifices today so that you can reap the future rewards? That just gave me goosebumps. That's fantastic. <laughs> I, I love the way you put it across. <laughs> Where can people find your work? Where can people reach out to you if they have more questions? And, uh, you know, where, where can we, you know, talk to you if you need anything? Yeah, thank you. So my two books are Money, Honey and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. They are available on Amazon in ebook, paperback and audiobook. So they are in all formats. Anyone listening can also check out my website at moneyhoneyrachel.com. I have a few freebies on there that you can sign up for, um, like budgeting worksheets, I have a passive income bonus gift. So there's some exciting things on my website. Um, and then if you just want to follow my journey and follow me on social media, I post funny money memes. So people like those a lot and it's a lot of fun. Um, but you can pretty much search Money Honey Rachel on any social media and follow me there. Fantastic. I'll also include uh, the links for the books as well as the website and your social handles on the show notes. So people look for it in the show Thank notes. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. It's, it's been such an absolute pleasure talking Thank to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning into the show. We appreciate you taking the time out for this. If you like what you heard, please share this with a few friends and leave a review rating on your favorite podcaster. This will help more people learn about the podcast. Until next time, this is Kritika from the Passion People Podcast wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Stay passionate. Cheers.